Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I'm Brandon Thurston, broadcasting live and on demand from Buffalo, New York, where today is Sunday, June the 19th, 2022, where I'm, I'm joined for this special edition of WrestleNomics, joined from my immediate south, Chris Gullo, and from, oh, due east, Jesse Collings, a special three-way WrestleNomics. Um, I don't know. We've never done a three-way WrestleNomics before. Chris Gullo, how are you? I'll ask you first. Uh, I'm good. We just had a show last night, uh, Empire State Wrestling in Black and Blue, and uh, you were were there helping out, being like a backstage producer and and agent, and uh, you got fired up. Uh, I've never seen you just fired up in a long time. You were uh, very excited for the J. Freddy Kevin Blackwood match. You were screaming and yelling and multiple F-bombs, and you were running around ranting and... These these allegations are without merit, and I intend to vigorously defend myself against them. Uh, says I've, I've, uh, it's a it's a good PR line I've, I've learned over the years. Um, but no, it was it was a good time. Um, but but Jesse joins us from from the Boston area, correct? Yep, correct. How are you, Jesse? I'm doing good. Um, it'd be interesting to look back and see if like where this like last. Hmm, three-week period would rank on like just crazy wrestling news um moments like remember when mjf uh didn't go to the um fan fest at AEW? remember when that was a big story and that was like two and, weeks ago and mjf and like a the same news cycle uh the jeff hardy uh dui arrest um what other big stories have, have, have happened besides the vince story which is going to be the main the only focus of our the Sasha Banks Naomi story, if you want to go back to that one, and then obviously there was a pseudo kind of update this week about it. Um, it's, it's, it's definitely ma- the makings of a terrific between the sheets episode uh, down the line, ten years from now. Yes. Um, so let's uh, we will pull up the slides here, uh, and, and go. How can people uh, participate today if they wish? Yeah, so uh, while you're watching here on YouTube, you see there's a little uh, dollar sign, and it says uh, show your support for WrestleNomics, and you can ask a question in there, which your dollar amount. So, and uh, if if it's on topic at that time, we'll discuss it there. If it's something to lead to the end, we'll, we'll leave it towards the end. But I feel like we really have one main topic today, so most of them will be on topic. What one main topic with with many subtopics, I would yeah. say. Um, so we'll we'll get people up to speed. We did do a breaking news uh, episode on Wednesday night, on Wednesday evening. Our uh, company popularity plans to do you know, so this company popularity analysis for the for the new data that we received in May. Uh, that was interrupted, and we did instead coverage of the story that came out that day, Wednesday, June fifteenth, twenty twenty two, in the Wall Street Journal. Headline, WWE board probes secret $3 million hush pact by CEO Vince McMahon, sources say, with the subheading. Company says relationship was consensual and is cooperating with the inquiry. Um, So just in case people uh, are not up to speed, or I I think, you know, there are probably a lot of people who uh, are aware of, Sort of what's happening, but but maybe the details aren't super clear. So, Gullah, why don't you read us through uh, what our notes are on this Wall Street Journal report that came out on Wednesday? Yeah, uh, WWE's board of directors is investigating three million dollar settlement that Vince McMahon agreed to pay a departing employee 
who he had an affair with, according to documents and people familiar with the board inquiry. The employee separated from WB in January 2022. She was hired as a paralegal in 2019. She signed a non-disclosure agreement, and the board investigation began in April and has found additional older NDAs that involved claims by former female employees of WB of misconduct by Vince McMahon and John Laurinaitis, current head of talent relations. Wall Street Journal doesn't know how many previous agreements there are that are being scrutinized. The board's only findings are that Vince used personal money to pay former female WWE employees, plural, who signed NDAs, including one that involves allegations against Laurinaitis. The law firm is also scrutinizing the company's compliance and human resources programs, as well as the company culture. WWE, the company, is cooperating fully with the board inquiry, and the relationship with the former paralegal was conceptual. Uh, the company takes the allegations seriously and is dealing with them appropriately. Vince's lawyer, Jerry McDivitt, said in a letter to Wall Street Journal, the former paralegal didn't make any claims of harassment against Vince. WWE did not pay any monies to the former employee on her departure. The board found out that the $3 million payment through a series of anonymous emails from someone described to be a friend of the former paralegal. Uh, the first email was sent to board members on March 30th and alleged that Vince first fired her, or I'm sorry, I'm sorry, first hired her, I apologize, with a $100,000 salary, then raised her salary to $200,000 after the two began a sexual relationship. The friend also alleged in the email that Vince gave her like a toy to John Laurinaitis. My friend was so scared she quit after Vince McMahon and lawyer Jerry paid her millions of dollars to shut up, the first email read. The board received on Sunday, June 12th, a copy of the $3 million agreement, and the NDA included a upfront $1 million payment, and the additional $2 million were to be paid over five years. Sure. So so uh, the, the problems that, that the board is investigating here are the fact that uh, Vince made payments to, to this former employee. Um, there would be questions, obviously, about whether or not he used company money. It, it looks like everybody agrees that he used personal money to pay those payments. However, uh, as you mentioned in, in one point there, uh, the paralegal was given a raise from $100,000. I was I, looking it up to see like what the typical payment is for a paralegal in the New York City area. It's looks like it's well under $100,000. But nonetheless, I don't know, it's a, pri privately, uh, it's a private company. Um, maybe... W pays especially well, um, $100,000. But then her salary was raised to $2,000 when the two began a sexual relationship. So that's going to be a problem. And there's a huge power imbalance between a paralegal in WWE and the CEO, as well as the head of relations in the form of John Laurinaitis. Um, and it sounds like from the report that there are more, more of these NDAs, more of these payments. So... As we sit here today, the Wall Street Journal has not written another uh, installment of this other than they have reported on on the uh, the press release that happened on Friday, which we'll get to. But uh, there may be more here. We'll see. Uh, it, lo it looks like the Wall Street Journal, if anybody's going to follow up on this story, it's going to be the publication that ran the original report. Um, just to give some people some background as, as far as what's what can happen here, uh, Vince is obviously or, or, or was the CEO the chairman of the board, 
Um, but he's also the largest shareholder. And because he has special family stock that gives each one of his shares 10 times the voting power of anybody else's shares, uh, he has 80% of the votes. So when it comes to electing the members of the board of directors, he, it, it doesn't really matter what anybody else votes. Uh, he controls the company uh, unless he sells a lot more of his stock. And for some further background, who are the members of the board of directors? There are, uh, up to this point, at least until Vince uh, steps down from being a member of the board of directors, there's Vince McMahon, who is the, the chairman, and then there's three other executives who, who work full-time for WWE. That's Stephanie McMahon, Nick Kahn, Paul Levesque, and then there are the eight independent members of the board of directors. Uh, they're all executives or former executives uh, for media companies or other major businesses, including Jeffrey Speed, uh, former executive at Six Flags, Eric Renardini, the CEO of Barstool, Steve Payman, who used to be the C COO of Beyonce's production company. He is now the president of Verzuz, which is a thriller company. Manjit Singh, who used to be an executive with Sony. Steve Coonan, who is the president of the Atlanta Hawks and, the, and State Farm Arena. Ignace Laoud, uh, who is an executive for, if I can pronounce this correctly, Maid Al Fatam, which is a, is a mall company in the Middle East. And Connor Shell, uh, former EVP of content for ESPN, uh, now works for, for a production company that he founded, and Alan Wexler, SVP of Innovation at General Motors. So what I gather from, from the Wall Street Journal report is that it is those eight independent members uh, who are not WWE employees, who are independent members of the board of directors, it's to them to, to run this investigation and to look into the wrongdoing that Vince and John Laurinaitis may have done here. Um, as far as what the power uh, the, the board actually has, I don't know this is a natural question that a lot of people have brought up, and I'm trying to understand what the power is. Uh, like, like we mentioned, Vince has 80% of the votes. So based on that fact, you might think that, well, Vince, nobody can make Vince do anything. Um, I, I'm under the impression that the board can, in fact, fire Vince McMahon if they see fit. Uh, what would be their justification for doing so? Uh, there, there is a W code of conduct that anybody can find on the corporate website. Uh, it, it lists a, a number of, uh, of examples of prohibited conduct, and it's conspicuous that in the July 2020 version of the W code of conduct, there were three items that were listed as prohibited, uh, including interfering with a person's ability to perform their job, uh, creating an offensive, an offensive work environment, etc., cetera, uh, inappropriate physical touching. Uh, what, is the th what is the third note here? Uh, any threat or actual retaliation against any person filing claims of unlawful harassment. And then those were the three. And then in July 2020, uh, just one more item was added here. And that, that item is the grant or offer of an employment quid pro quo for personal intimacy. Uh, it, it raises questions about what was there some incident that happened here around or just before July 2020 that led to this, this item, this list of, of items being added uh, to the code of conduct. I don't know, but it is conspicuous. Um, 
more importantly, Vince McMahon does have an employment agreement, uh, which was published in a, in a SEC filing in November 2010. Uh, as far as I can tell, it is still a valid agreement. It was amended in April 2018, around the time that Vince was working on relaunching the XFL. Uh, so his employment agreement does state that he can be terminated by the company. I would think the company in this case would be the board of directors. Uh, there's a number of conditions under which the board can fire him for cause, including uh, the executive's intentional in perpetration or in attempted perpetration of fraud. Maybe that would apply to uh, giving the paralegal a raise from $100,000 to $200,000, maybe. Uh, but then there's also this other condition that's listed, the executive's willful and intentional material misconduct in performance of his duties or gross negligence of his duties other than the executive's disability, including an intentional failure to follow any applicable company policies or directives. Maybe the code of conduct would be one of those policies. Maybe there's other policies um, within WB that are not public. Uh, so those may be the conditions that are being considered as far as can the board really fire him? I, th I think they can under those conditions. Now, now couldn't, couldn't the board... Uh, couldn't Vince just fire the board? Couldn't the, they just get rid of him? Or I'm sorry, couldn't he just get rid of the people who want to fire them, fire him? And I don't think uh, he can. The board is elected, and I believe every member of the board of directors is, is re-elected every April at WWE's annual shareholders meeting. Again, the, the results of that election are kind of moot because there's one person who controls 80% of the votes, and that's Vince. But I don't believe that Vince can just fire the board at any moment he chooses. If the board decided to fire him, he can't fire them first, is my understanding. Um, he perhaps could... Uh, he, he would be able to decide who the next members of the board of directors are, or at least he, he would be voting on who the next members of the board of directors are in the following April. Lord knows what would happen between whenever he would theoretically, hypothetically be fired and, and the following April. And, and the, the degree to which who, do, who decides the nominations of the board are not clear to me. Um, as people may know, it's, it's often the same members of the board of directors who are on the board for years and years at a time. So that's not super clear to me as far as who gets nominated and how they get nominated. But the board, I, th I think I can say this, the board, at least at a minimum, could at least temporarily fire him. Whether or not he could get power back, I, I don't know. Um, so I just want to go over some some uh, moments in the timeline here, just to to lay this out. I think it'd be helpful, and then we'll then we'll maybe have some conversation about this before we move on. Um, March 30th, according to the Wall Street Journal article, March 30th, so just before WrestleMania, to put that in, put that in some tangible context, uh, that's when the board of directors gets the first anonymous email from, from the person who is described as a friend of the paralegal. Uh, and then in April, according to the Wall Street Journal article, the board of directors begins its investigation. May 19th, that's when Stephanie announces her leave of absence. Who knows if Stephanie is aware of the... Uh, the investigation, I, I would be guessing to speculate. It's, yeah. Uh, June 3rd, so Stephanie has, has announced her temporary leave of absence to spend time with her family, according to her. Then on June 3rd, Business Insider reports that Stephanie was removed by Vince McMahon. Fightful and other wrestling media publications would dispute that. 
And then on June 12th, the board of directors, according to the Wall Street Journal report, they received a copy of the settlement agreement between the paralegal and Vince from Vince's lawyer. Uh, And then on June 15th, that's when the Wall Street Journal report itself comes out. So there's that, as I want to say. Uh, We we have more. But any any thoughts from Jesse uh, at, at this point? Two important distinctions just in regards to the reporting on the case here. The first being is a lot of people are saying that, well, this was a consensual relationship between Vince and the paralegal. Um, WWE said, you know, WWE in their statement said it was a consensual relationship, which doesn't necessarily mean that that's what actually happened. So I think that's an important distinction that people should be making in the court of public opinion. Um, and ultimately, I think the old, the fallout from this will be what the public opinion is on, on Vince and, and the company. Um, and the second thing also being that, as Gullo reported in the notes section, the, the, the paralegal didn't feel comfortable and no longer works for the company. So I see some people trying to frame it like, oh, it was a consensual relationship and she got a lot of money from it. What's wrong with that? And I think that's a very disingenuous framing of the situation. And just kind of want that to clarify it out there that the situation is, is different than, than that based on what we know. Okay. So we'll, uh, that was, that was Wednesday as, as Golo and I were, uh, going through our pre-show meeting here. So much has happened that I, I forgot that that, that was, that was Wednesday. And then on Thursday, we, we do have one additional news item in, in the timeline. And that is that, uh, this Scott and Scott, uh, uh, law firm, comes out with a press release Thursday evening uh, whenever whenever there's trouble afoot in a publicly traded company it seems that there is there's a law firm not too far away uh, looking for a shareholder class action so go tell us what we learned from Scott and Scott attorneys uh, on Thursday evening yep so uh reading here and, and and the headline was world wrestling Entertainment investigation alert Scott and Scott attorneys uh, at Law LLP investigated these directors and officers for breach of fiduciary, fiduciary duties. Uh, but here's what it read. Um, Scott and Scott, a national securities and consumers rights litigation firm, is investigating whether certain directors and officers of World Wrestling Entertainment have breached their fiduciary duties to WWE and its shareholders. If you are a WWE shareholder, you are encouraged to contact attorney Joe Pettigrew for additional information. Scott or Scott is investigating whether members of the WWE board of directors or senior management failed to manage WWE in an acceptable manner in breach of their fiduciary duties to WWE and whether WWE and its shareholders have suffered damages as a result. On June 15, 2022, the Wall Street Journal reported that WWE was investigating an alleged $3 million settlement uh, that CEO Vince McMahon agreed to pay in January 2022 to a former WWE employee with whom he allegedly had an affair. So, a shareholder class action lawsuit would, would not be a uh, an, an unfamiliar situation for WB. Uh, there was a shareholder class action lawsuit that just recently uh, resulted in a settlement for share, shareholders uh, surrounding what this, the shareholder class uh, alleges is a was were misleading statements from W executives about W's Mina TV rights deal. It's a Middle East North North Africa TV rights deal, uh, which 
only recently was was finalized. Uh, basically, shareholders alleged that they were led to believe that that there was a big Mina TV rights deal uh, coming up. It never materialized, or at least didn't materialize with the value that shareholders say they expect expected. Uh, this resulted in you know allegedly damage to shareholders. Uh, shareholders basically, depending on how many shares you owned during a certain amount of time, you get some money because of that. Uh, WB's insurance, liability insurance, took care of took care of that for WB. Uh, and then in 2014, there was also a shareholder class action lawsuit after WB kind of hyped up the the expectations of their TV rights deal. Uh, this is around the time of the launch of the network, and I think the launch of the network ended up interfering with WB's ability to leverage a better TV rights deal at the time. Uh, shareholders you know, alleged that they were misled about the value of the company in essence. So I don't think this is anything too unusual for a company. Like I said, whenever there's, there's sort of uh, problems at a, at a publicly traded company about, you know, what, what the value of the company is or any reason why shareholders would be really upset. It seems like there are, uh, there, there, there is a law firm that's ready to, you know, to, to launch a, a lawsuit against them that uh, would, would benefit them and, and as well as shareholders. So that's what happens on Thursday. Real quick, Brian, I have a question yes. on that. Would, would the big point that Scott and Scott would make is that they didn't say in, that we were investigating this in April, that this came out because of a Wall Street Journal article and not from a public statement from the WWE Board of Directors or WWE itself? That's a good question. So what, what are they saying here? We're inve- they're investigating... It's very certain vague. Certain directors yeah. and officers breach their fiduciary duties to W and its shareholders. The, the law firm is investigating whether members of, of W's board of directors or senior management failed to manage W in an acceptable manner. Um, yeah, I mean, I, so this would be my speculation is that, hey, look, if, if W is going to be the value of W as a company is going to be, you know, really damaged here in terms of they have at a minimum a PR problem now, which may damage their, their value to business partners and to advertisers and sponsors and, you know, the, the executives and, and, and W as a company did not do what they should have done to prevent this or to deal with it earlier. And that's going to cause damage to the value of the company, which means it causes damage to the, sh- the shareholders who own shares of the company. That would be my read on the situation. So we'll see how that plays out. Um, and we'll go to Friday. Uh, and Friday morning, I, uh, I woke I think I, I wake up sometimes around 7.30, and I've already got an email. I've got some texts on, on, on Friday morning, um, and I go, oh, no, what's happened? So at 7.02 a.m., WB has sent out a joint press release from both the company and its board of directors. What does it say, Chris Gullo? All right. So the statement here was WWE and its board of directors jointly released the following statement today. Independent directors continue review of alleged executive misconduct. Stephanie McMahon named interim CEO and interim chairwoman. Uh, WWE and the board of directors today announced that a special committee of the board is conducting an investigation into alleged misconduct by its chairman and CEO, Vincent McMahon and John Laurinaitis, head of talent relations, and that effective immediately 
McMahon has voluntarily stepped back from his responsibilities as CEO and chairman of the board until the conclusion of the investigation. McMahon will retain his role and responsibilities related to WWE's creative content during this period and remains committed to cooperating with the review underway. The special committee has appointed Stephanie McMahon to serve as interim CEO and interim chairwoman. I have pledged my complete cooperation to the investigation by the special committee, and I will do everything possible to support the investigation. I have also pledged to accept the findings and outcome of the investigation, whatever they are, said Mr. McMahon. I love this company and committed to working with the independent directors to strengthen our culture and our company. It's extremely important to me to have a safe and collaborative workspace. I have committed to doing everything in my power to help the special committee to complete its work, including marshalling the cooperation of the entire company to assist in the completion of the investigation and to implement its findings, said Ms. McMahon. Um, Diddy and its board of directors take all allegations and misconduct very seriously. The independent directors of the board engage independent legal counsel to assist them with independent review. In addition, the special committee and WWE will work with an independent third party to conduct a comprehensive review of the company's compliance program, HR function, and overall culture. The company and the board do not expect to have further comment until the investigation is concluded. Yes. So Stephanie McMahon just, uh, just about a month, almost a month, right? A- after she tweeted this on May 19th, that she was uh, taking a leave of absence from the majority of her responsibilities to focus on her family. She's back. Um, and she's now, at least officially, the interim CEO, the interim chairwoman of the board, roles that Vince McMahon held. Uh, Vince McMahon is still the head of creative. Um, he is still running television. And just after, what, what, what is the very end of that statement? Say, the company and board, you do not expect to have any further comments until the investigation is concluded. Well, two hours later, one, one sentence press release comes out from WWE. What does it say, Chris Cole? It says that uh, WWE today announced that Mr. McMahon will appear on SmackDown tonight at 8 p.m. live on Fox. Yeah. Um, and he does. So I, I think it's, it's really important, and, and as, as I've argued uh, in, in an article on WrestleMics.com, I think it's really important that we understand that Vince is still the head of creative, and uh, yes, he's, at least in, in name, no longer at this moment, the CEO and chairman of the board, but uh, my impression is that much of what he has done in this company increasingly towards the present has been involving his role as the head of creative and more of his traditional roles as a corporate officer have been increasingly delegated to Nick Khan and others. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, Jesse, any, any thoughts about day two of, of this story? Well, so really um, it'd be interesting hearing if you've heard anything differently, Brandon, but I want to go back to the Stephanie thing for a second. So Stephanie announces her leave of absence and there was all this speculation about why she was, you know, was she being fired? Was it, you know, was it something to do with Triple H? What what really happened, right? And WWE releases this business, in, well, they have this business insider story where a source from WWE makes the case that Stephanie was under-delivering with her sponsorship, uh, her, her, you know, under-delivered on sponsorship goals and wasn't particularly effective at her job. And this is Vince, you know, kind of getting rid of her. Uh, something that was disputed by by news outlets that cover pro wrestling, as you mentioned. Um, I thought in the Observer on uh, this week, 
Dave reported that the whole leak, the idea that someone from WWE would talk to Business Insider and kind of bury Stephanie was done strategically because from a public perception standpoint, WWE did not want to see the daughter of the CEO and someone who has been pretty publicly groomed as like the next face of, of the company. They didn't like the idea of that person stepping away from their duties. They thought it would be a negative image. So they plant this story that makes it seem like we're getting rid of Stephanie and that's a positive step as opposed to a negative step being that she's quitting because she doesn't work for a terrible company. She doesn't want to work for the company and the company is terrible. And so that's what Dave reported, that they they did this on purpose, basically. They leaked this information that they were firing Stephanie, essentially, for being bad and that people should be positive about this move as opposed to questioning why Stephanie is leaving the company. So they do that. And then a week later, Stephanie is the CEO of the company and is now running the company. And so this person that you just publicly buried, essentially, is a strategic goal to to try to get people to make it seem like your company is doing a good thing. One week later, you now have to tur- turn around and say, oh, you know, this person that we just kind of said is bad at her job is now running the company and also is potentially going to be handling the company during a massive PR crisis. But please have faith in us. And I just found that to be so fascinating. I don't know if you heard anything differently than what Dave reported in the sense of that this was not a, like a, the business insider story was not like a strategic play by WWE, but I found that completely fascinating. They have a, they attempted to to shift the narrative by leaking out essentially a false narrative of how people saw Stephanie in the company, and one week later are now counting on people to have faith in Stephanie as as a, as a leader for this company. So, when it, when it comes to the business insider article, and we can. Let's let's toss that that those excerpts. The, these are kind of the the uh, substantive excerpts from from the Business Insider article, uh, which which read this is uh, from Claire Atkinson is the byline. Uh, Stephanie is being replaced in her corporate role as part of a shakeup executed by her father, Vince McMahon, and then the insider, the company, you know, a person attributed as the company insider, says we weren't seeing that growth. When someone is moved out of the company, it's usually the result of something not working. We took strong stronger control of that uh, a few months ago. So there's an executive who, uh, who was hired by Stephanie, Claudine Lillian. She was there for, I, th- I think about six months. Um, and she was removed by Vince McMahon. I was told um, as far as like what, what causes these, these quotes to end up in, in, in business insider. I, I don't know if it's, I, I, I wouldn't describe it as the company decided they wanted to do something. Uh, or I would, I would think it's more so, um, a faction within the company or maybe one person within the company wanted to, uh, wanted, wanted to make it public that, you know, at least make the message public that, uh, you know, it, it wasn't really her stepping away. It was, it was because of her performance because there, there must be my speculation that there must be some opposing factions here, uh, one one of those factions involving Stephanie, and uh, you know we can speculate about who's who's in, in the opposite faction, or it's probably not even as, as clear cut as that. But um, you know I've I've been told uh, that you know Stephanie and and Kevin Dunn don't get along, and you know I'm not the only person who's heard that. And uh, Stephanie fired Bruce Pritchard in 2008. I, I doubt there's great feelings between Stephanie and Bruce Pritchard, who's now back in WWE and and in an important role in creative. So there's, there's definitely, uh, 
executives in, in WWE who are vying for power. I, th- I think back to, to one thing, Jesse, you said on, on this program, a f- you know, several weeks back when we were just, you know, talking about, you know, what, what would WWE be like in a state where there is no Vince McMahon around and, and that the knives would be out. And then there's a lot of people who, uh, if, if Vince is going to truly fall from power here, maybe he is, he seems to be in jeopardy at least. Uh, that's going to leave a huge vacuum of power, and a lot of people probably want to assume uh, that that vacancy. Um, so, yeah, that's I don't know if that that answers your question, but that's that's my impression of it. When, when, oh, go, no, ahead. go ahead. I was going to say when you mentioned the uh, executive history, right? Who was heavily involved with bringing in Mark Carano to kind of replace Laurinaitis? Mark Carano and Kane and Seaman in those roles, like. I, I don't know. Maybe that's. I, I would have to like look at how wh- when they when they showed up and and the timing of that. Do you have you have any any any? Do you have any idea though? You like. I feel like there might have been a Stephanie move to go into that direction. Okay. Um, Jesse, you're going to okay. say. Just the succession plan for WWE has always been kind of up in the air, especially with kind of. Paul Levesque's scaling back of responsibilities, um, some related to his health, some related to perhaps poor performance. Um, the, the the interesting thing to me is, um, you know, this is all under the assumption right now, at least, that Stephanie is like actually the CEO and actually the person kind of in power. I think we're probably all a little bit skeptical that Vince isn't just still kind of running the company. And this is a optical optics move. In fact, that's been reported by a couple people. Um, so I, I, I'm still, I still think Stephanie's role in the company is relatively unclear. I said this on the show when she was, you know, she stepped down how the, the amount of authority that Stephanie McMahon exhibits um, within the company to me is real, real is rather mysterious. Um, she seems mostly used as like a public person that, you know, can, can do, does interviews and is presented as, you know, a leading figure in the company and is kind of here in like, you know, 30 most powerful women in sports listicles and those kind of things. But um, her actual role or actual authority within the company over the last few years, you know, um, to me is, is still relatively unknown. Uh, and I, I want to reference a, a fightful report uh, as well, as we're still in the, the Friday timeline, about the middle of the day. SmackDown has not happened yet, uh, but Fightful has talked to a, a number of W talent about uh, their their impression of the situation at that point. Why don't you tell us about that, Gullah? As long as Vince McMahon still has creative duties, nothing can change. What could possibly be different? If he asked something of Stephanie as interim CEO, is she going to say no? One wrestler said. Uh, another quote, I imagine it won't change much, but I love Steph, so that's good, said another top talent. I imagine Vince keeps his position in creative, and once the investigation is over, he'll take back over if he can. And the last part here, another talent from a creative a- aspect. I hope that things change, but I doubt they will. From a business aspect, I'm also hoping that things change, but I also doubt they will. Really, the only thing I think that will actually change is Johnny will be fired, which will be nice. Stephanie is great, but I doubt she's going to suddenly be on the board with healthcare, uh, be on board with healthcare and guaranteed contracts. Yeah. And, uh, th- th- those, those sound like correct reads to me. Uh, and then those people who, who Sean Ross Sapp talked to would, would be in a better position to know. Um, and then during, during the day as SmackDown airtime air is approaching, 
uh, PW Insider reports on on the atmosphere backstage in uh, in Minneapolis. Despite the last several days, McMahon was joking around during the production meeting before the taping and wasn't selling anything at all. Uh, described PW Insider by multiple sources as being in a great mood. We're told there was nothing addressed or discussed by McMahon in regards to allegations thus far today at the tapings. There have been whispers among some of the company that he would address the troops, but as of 4 p.m. this afternoon, that has not happened. So as this uh, SmackDown episode is is, is approaching airtime, um, I had done like three interviews by this time uh, with, with, with people from, you know, various podcasts and radio shows and things like that. And we all, you know, it was, it was announced that morning that, that Vince was going to be on SmackDown and everyone's speculating about what's going to happen is he, he's going to address the allegations. I was speculating. It could be that it could be, maybe he's, there's going to be some sort of comedic slapstick writing off of Vince McMahon. Uh, Jesse, would you, do you have any, any thoughts about what to expect? Um, I was horrified by it just because I thought it was Vince exploiting sexual misconduct allegations and a chance to pop ratings. And I thought that it was a really uh, bad look for the professional wrestling industry. Um, and we can get into maybe the mainstream coverage of the situation later and how that relates to it. Um, I thought I, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't watch it live, um, but I imagined that there was a lot of Jerry McDevitt pleading on asking Vince what he was going to do. Um, but when I, when it happened, I, to me, in, in, in going with, you know, the, the PWI report, it seemed like to me, like he just wanted the ego boost of going backstage and going out in front of the crowd and getting cheered. Um, it hasn't been an awesome week for Vince. Obviously there's the Oliver Luck case, which is, you know, now going to trial. And that's not like an awesome thing for Vince either. In addition to these allegations. So I think he just wanted to go out in the public and get cheered, which wrestling fans were happy to oblige. Yeah, and, and just for background, for anybody who doesn't know, the, the Oliver Luck case is a, is a lawsuit between the former commissioner of the XFL during the relaunch uh, who, who claims that he was wrongly terminated. Uh, and that's a, it's a lawsuit that's been, been ongoing for probably for, for just after the, the, that, that version of the XFL folded in 2020. And, and as Jesse said, it's going to trial soon. Um, so there's that. And, and so Vince does appear uh, on SmackDown. And what we have on the screen for people watching on YouTube, the entirety of his comments, uh, you know, no, nobody knew if he was going to, going to start the show, if he was going to be in the main event segment or what. But uh, his, his, the entirety of his comments, I guess I'll, I'll read them, are, are this. It, it is a privilege. First of all, we should probably, and we don't have a clip to play here, but we should probably describe the atmosphere of, of, of what happened there. Uh, and, uh, you know, his, his, his Wrestling tends to be this sort of Pavlovian experience for an audience in that you've spent, you know, you can, there's been upwards of 20 years of fans learning that when the No Chance in Hell theme music plays, everyone erupts. Um, I heard it, it's hard to read W crowd reactions, you know, at, at this point to me because they use the fake crowd noise. And there were definitely cheers. I heard some people describe it as mixed. That That sounds right to me there maybe there were some booze but it was you know i if i weren't looking for booze i don't know if i would notice them um so vince gets in, gets in the ring and he says it is a privilege as always to stand before you tonight the w universe especially a privilege to stand in this ring in minnesota he gets a cheap pop i'm here simply to remind you of the four words we saw in what we call the w signature 
Those four words are then, now, forever, and the most important word is together. Welcome to SmackDown. And he tosses the microphone away, walks out of the ring. By the way, of course, he was strutting throughout throughout his uh, entrance, slapping hands with, with the audience. Like, there's no doubt he's being presented as a babyface. You can even notice that the... You know, the director is putting the camera on people who are cheering Vince uh, in his entrance and things like that. This is clearly a presentation that, among other things, perhaps is presenting Vince as a good guy here. Uh, there's no no illusion. There's no commentary narrating this about what's happening in, in, in the rest of the world here. This is no illusion to, to the news story. Uh, who knows what percentage of the crowd is aware of the story or not aware of the story. But if you weren't aware of it, it's just, this is just an innocuous welcome to SmackDown message from, from Vince for some reason. I don't know why. Uh, but if you do know about it, it's, I don't, it's, it's a pretty bizarre uh, appearance. And I was shocked that, that this was the entirety of it. But uh, maybe in another it, sense, not. Yes. It was also reported before he appeared that this would be in character. It's Mr. McMahon. It is not. Vince out of character now. I think, but you know, in in this day and age, the differences between Vince McMahon, the character on TV, and Vince McMahon, the the I guess currently not chairman of the company, but Vince McMahon, the chairman and CEO of WWE, there's not really any difference. He he wasn't feuding with anyone, so like he comes out. Does it really matter if he's the character owner of the company or the real owner of the company? If he's just going to say this, this didn't come across like an in character promo though, despite. That right. was supposed to be in character. Um, we do have a super chat related to this from Sean Fowl. He goes, do you think Vince appeared on SmackDown to show TV executives the fans cheering him to save face rather than letting social media decide his fate? I think social media will not decide his fate. I think um, it it was done to, I think it it's something that Vince is likely to approve. Who knows who pitched it or whose idea it was, or certainly Vince approved of it. But I think it, sir, I think I, I, I am, uh, I tend to agree with what Jesse said earlier that it, it, it sort of comforts his ego to get out there and get a positive reaction. And certainly you could, uh, position that segment in a, in a, in a situation where it would be likely to get a positive reaction. He plays theme music. You have him go out there and use use the cheap pop line. If it's great to be here in Minnesota, uh, it's it's a move that hey we can go out here and, and this very day and despite all these allegations against me, I can still come out here and get a positive reaction uh, from my audience. And and Vince throughout the years through his various scandals has often positioned himself as a victim, whether it was in the face of criticism from. Uh, a columnist like Phil Mushnick or from uh, being indicted by, by the federal government. Um, he has often positioned himself as somebody who's being treated unfairly. And maybe there's this groundswell of, of people behind him who are really supporting him uh, stand up for WWE, things like that. So, um, yeah, I think there was plenty of support for him on social media. So I wouldn't necessarily social media deciding his fate is an inherently negative thing for him to do um as brandon said um read about any dictator in history when they were feeling a little low they often had rallies and went out to talk to the people and got their supporters and they had that ego boost um chairman mao liked to do that a lot uh so vince's you know back 
that kind of pers- personality where he's like, I'm, you know, I've been taking a beating. Let me go out there. Let me get cheered. Let me feel like these people are all behind me because I have this natural persecution complex where I think all of these people are against me and I have done nothing wrong. I think Vince has a friend who, who, who acts similarly too. Um, so that's what happens on SmackDown. And uh, we have the fast affiliate rating for SmackDown. So this is not the final rating. The final rating will come out on Monday. Uh, but we do have fast affiliates, which usually you know, are, are pretty strongly correlated by a difference of about 5.5%. So if I apply that, that formula, we've got a, a rating uh, for SmackDown of a, of a, well, I should say a total viewership for SmackDown of about 2.4 million viewers. Uh, based on, that's, that, that's my projection based on the, the fast affiliate number. So if SmackDown averaged throughout the entire program 2.4 million viewers, this would be the most watched SmackDown since at least September. The, the, the MSG September 10th SmackDown had a, had a high viewership. Uh, but if it, if it is, say it's exactly 2.4 million viewers, this would be the most watched SmackDown since the, the, the December 25th Christmas Day SmackDown which had a, an, an NFL lead-in, which gave it an enormous audience to begin with. It, it ended up averaging 3.3 million viewers on uh, Christmas 20, 2020. Uh, that's an exceptional situation. Uh, so if we exclude that one, we have to go back to the, the very first uh, no-crowd show for SmackDown in the COVID era. So that's March 20th, 2020 when SmackDown actually did over 2.5 million viewers. So uh, th- this looks like it's going to be the, the most watched SmackDown in a long time when the final rating comes out on Monday. Uh, and surprisingly, according to, to the Fast Affiliates, which anybody can look at, by the way, on uh, SpoilerTV.com reports them, the Fast Affiliates show that Hour 2, in fact, was more highly viewed than Hour 1, uh, if, if, if we didn't make it clear earlier, Vince came out at the very beginning of SmackDown. His segment lasted about two minutes. Uh, I, I was, was watching it live, and I figured there's got to be massive tune-out happening right now after that segment ended. People were, I, you know, I heard people talking throughout the day about how they were going to watch SmackDown for the first time in years, and they tuned in, and they saw the, the Vince McMahon segment that they were all waiting for, and uh, there must have been massive tune-out. But lo and behold, uh, the, the second hour was more highly viewed than the first hour. Um, I, I hope to get quarter hours uh, on Monday as well, and we'll look into this more deeply. Now, there was a Roman Reigns versus Matt Riddle match that was a, a title match and you know, one, of, one of the bigger matches in SmackDown in some time. Um, <clears throat> YouTube clips uh, have the, the Vince segment at the third most, just over a million views as of 9 o'clock this morning. Uh, Brock Lesnar came back at the end of the show, and that's got nearly 3 million views at this moment. And the, and the, the highlights of Riddle and Roman Reigns, uh, over 2.1, or I'm sorry, 1.2 million views, so more than the Vic, Vince clip as well. Uh, comments, by the way, uh, the comments for, for the, uh, the Vince clip are, are disabled, whereas that's not the case for, for most any other uh, YouTube video. Um, so, YouTube. Um just looking at those YouTube numbers, the two things that stand out to me, um, the first being that, so the, the Vince McMahon promo, if you were following on, like I didn't watch live, but I was checked in on just social media real quick, kind of after it happened, just to see what it was. And all of the reports on Twitter or, or if you're on Reddit or Facebook or whatever, were that like, you didn't, you don't need to watch this Vince promo because this is all he said. And it can be summarized in a quarter.
quarter of a second. And so in some ways that maybe prevents people from then seeking out the clip on YouTube. Um, it wasn't the second thing. Would, right. And the second thing I think would be interesting is that obviously WWE has the, in the YouTube on WWE obviously has a large following in other countries, most particularly India. And are those fans, do those fans care as much about the Vince McMahon promo and the Vince McMahon allegations as much as they would care about something like Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar or something that's maybe a little bit more attainable to uh, fans who were not reading, you know, Western news sites all day. Sure. And uh, so my, my understanding of, of the situation with um, W's partner, Sony in India, that I, th- I think this is the case for raw and SmackDown is that that content is windowed. So I don't think if you're in India, you can see those clips like within the first day, but after that, I think you can, or maybe they pick and choose certain segments. Um, but nonetheless, I mean, there's there's still, uh, the, the point to be made about maybe this was just more of a, of a U.S. and you know English-speaking market uh, story, and maybe not so much in, in other markets, which probably over-index in YouTube uh, activity for WV. Um, so that's what happened there, and uh, that's that. That is the bulk of the story and the facts uh, that we have to present here. So the rest we can. Uh, analyze what's happening here um i have on the screen here for people watching on youtube just a a selection of mainstream media highlights or mainstream media headlines from places like espn bloomberg fox business la times bleacher report espn cnbc cnn we'll talk about the cnn segments uh as well we can um a lot of focus on you know i I think people people reporters in mainstream media saw the press release, obviously, that Vince McMahon is no longer the CEO and chairman. And that's basically what they wrote their headlines on. Uh, yes, they, they do mention somewhere in the article that he's still the head of creative, but that is the big takeaway for me. That That's as big of a takeaway for me as him no longer being the CEO and chairman is that he's still being the head of creative. Um, and I think that was under underemphasized throughout mainstream media uh, on Friday. Any thoughts on that, Jesse or Golo? Well, uh, I mean, you look at the headlines, right? And this is a scandalous story. Like Vince McMahon was having sex with the subordinates and then paid her off um, as part of a settlement. And now he's being investigated for it. But there's a the sexy angle aspect of it. I think captures the public's imagination in a way that other maybe negative WWE stories don't. There's understanding the nuance of the Saudi Arabia deal and why that would be problematic is not as easy to craft a headline as around around as Vince McMahon, you know, pays hush money for after sexual misconduct probe. And I think that plays a role in just more attention being played to it and making sure that all of these various mainstream news outlets get something uh, out of it, you know, my company was was writing several stories throughout the day um, on the Vince McMahon situation. So, from the CNN video you, you sent me, Brandon, when they covered it, it was it wasn't long, and it, it for lack of a better word, it, it was just that short kind of like quib that you put an end of a program. Oh, by the way, this is happening. Like, it didn't seem like there was a serious investigation, journalists aspect from cnn it's just like hey i guess we have to cover this can you believe vince mcmahon this character and, and all that but it didn't come off as this like hey this is something that's serious and we're going to further go into it and there's going to be 
we're gonna have an analyst on here and have a long conversation piece. Like it seemed they, like they hey, did have there's about two and a half minutes. They had yeah. Dave Meltzer on. Um but you know those them. networks, they they take one topic and turn it into 30, 60, 90 minutes of programming at a time. Right. And and, and uh, to, to balance this, they had a lot to report about Ukraine and, and U.S. politics that day, as always. Um, but, but yeah, it was towards the end of the program. It was about two and a half minutes. Uh, it was spliced with clips of things like, you know, Vince McMahon at WrestleMania getting his head shaved by Donald Trump, tearing his tank top away from his body, and all these sort of goofy uh, highlights, which... Um, I think undermine the seriousness of the situation, which you know I, I, I wrote about uh, yesterday. As far as I, I think, a lot of the way that uh, the mainstream media presents stories about wrestling, even when they're very serious stories, mainstream media is so fixated on still on the fact that pro wrestling is this weird, predetermined pseudo sport. We have to inundate it with puns and with the zany personality of Vince McMahon. Even when we're talking about abuse of power, and even when we're talking about sexual misconduct, uh, we have to, you know, focus on uh, the 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 pun that that Jake Tapper uses. This was a Jake Tapper segment. Uh, the pun that he uses about you know from in the ring to on the ropes. Uh, that I I would have thought you know compared to all of the other scandals in W's history that have also gotten mainstream coverage that, that maybe more would have changed between then and now, but it hasn't. Um, Jesse, what, what what are your thoughts on the, uh, the CNN segment or, or any of this mainstream? So I I read your article on it, Brandon, and I think everyone should read it. Um, just because I think a lot of good points are made about mainstream media's handling of this kind of situation and kind of how the, the overriding aspect of, well, isn't it fake? is still has a as a grip on on the public's perception of pro wrestling and mainstream media's ability to cover pro wrestling however i did feel like the way cnn covered it and upon further thinking um did i feel like i did learn something about this which is i am of the belief that because the nature of pro wrestling it's these fake competitive sport attempting to pass itself off as real competition. Um, and because everyone knows that's the number one thing people know about pro wrestling is that it's fake. Um, that obscures real life stories and real life drama and real life tragedy in a way that other, it does not for other industries. And that hurts the reporting on the, on the company and, and the reporting on the industry, right? It's wrestling is fake. So, you know, this guy died eh, it's fake. Who cares? Um, that kind of attitude takes hold. But upon seeing the CNN story, I started to think about something else, which is not necessarily that wrestling is fake and therefore we, we're not going to report on this too seriously. It's more like Vince McMahon, who is professional wrestling for a lot of people, and especially people on the outside. Vince, Whatever Vince McMahon does, that is what the professional wrestling industry is doing. Vince has cultivated a public image of himself as being this wacky character who is at the center of this very lewd, very insensitive product. And by doing so, Vince has established himself as some sort of carnival freak who, no matter what they do, will always just be dismissed and denied as just this wacky guy who does crazy things. And that this sexual misconduct allegation and this very serious investigation into WWE 
we're going to dismiss it, not necessarily because it's associated with this fake product, but because Vince McMahon is this incredibly crazy figure that everything he does is so crazy and wacky that we can't really take anything that seriously about him. The 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 attitude of Vince McMahon, the, the sideshow freak, obscures the ability to actually cover what's really happening. Everything is just dismissed as a pattern of predictable Vince McMahon behavior. That's why this story was, you know, this kind of very serious story. Vince McMahon slept with, you know, was having a sexual relationship with a subordinate and $3 million NDA and all of this stuff is is also spliced in with footage of Vince McMahon ripping off of his shirt and Vince McMahon getting his head shaved by Donald Trump and all these in-character moments on WWE programming that show Vince McMahon just being a crazy, wacky guy. And that this is just another crazy, wacky story. And you don't really have to take it that seriously because oh, look how crazy and, and nutty this guy is. Isn't that funny? Isn't that entertaining? And I think even, you know, Jake Tapper respond at the end of the show, at the end of the segment, and like the reporter says, and Vince McMahon will be in the ring tonight to address, you know, to address the WWE fans. And Jake Tapper kind of rolls his eyes and says, of course he is. And that was kind of funny because it showed, you know, Jake Tapper is, is his views on pro wrestling and his views on Vince McMahon are very obscure, you know, are very uh, uh, dismissive. But it kind of does show the kind of general attitude is like, oh, you know, I'm I watched that news and I was like, I'm horrified that Vince is going into the ring. This is terrible. He's exploiting this. And, you know, this is a terrible thing for pro wrestling. Jake Tapper is like, yeah, well, that's, you know, for the record, you know, that's that's par for the course for Vince. That's that's something that we all know he would do. So I found it very interesting the way the mainstream covered the covered all of this and it does show that as hard as vince has tried to shed the image of him as carnival uh you know barker who's who's you know organizing this illegitimate form of entertainment and as hard as he's tried to gain sponsorships and as hard as he's trying to cultivate the image that wwe is is this major you know entertainment brand and as much as nick Khan wants to say we're like disney we're going to be like marvel at the end of the day the mainstream media just sees this as a total freak freak show that they don't take seriously. And as hard as they've tried and all those efforts that they've made, they've all been for naught because at the end of the day, the circus is still Vince McMahon and that nothing has changed despite the, you know, last 20 years of effort to change that. Yeah. I I, I think that articulates something that maybe vaguely in a cloud passed through my, my mind watching the CNN segment is that Vince, Vince has benefited. Now it's, it's not a calculation, in all likelihood, I'm sure he didn't calculate in 2007 when he booked the you know the, the Trump versus McMahon billionaire versus billionaire match that that this would play out this way, but that there's no shortage of of B-roll at least at least video. We're, we're looking at a, at a at a bunch of screenshots of of mainstream headlines from online news publications, and most of those have stock images of there's this you know really common one where he's standing up on, on the stage uh, when the W network is being introduced. And there's, there's other photos from things like press, press conferences uh, that he's done over the years. Most of them are quite old. Uh, But um, you know, TV is a, is a televisual medium and, and the extent to which people watch video clips. I think that's, that's something that has a big effect on people. And it's not just about the words that are said uh, that are narrated in the segment 
And it's not just about the words that are written in, in the articles, but it's about the, the images that people see too. And I, again, I don't think it's calculated, but it ends up being to Vince's benefit that there are all, all these ridiculous and zany clips that, you know, what, what just happens to be in, in the B-roll, at least in, in the library at, at CNN, for them to, to play over these segments is stuff that makes the the story look ridiculous or I, I think undermines the seriousness of it. Um, I, I, guess, I guess now is as good as time as any to, to, to go through some of the arguments that I was making in, in, in the article uh, that's posted yesterday um, in that, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm very happy to be, to be a guest uh, on, on uh, podcasts and, and, and talk shows and things like that to talk about this subject. Um, I, I, I think it's ironic that, so and a lot of other people in wrestling media have been asked to do that in the last few days as well and i and i think it's it's ironic that you know we are asked to give some understanding into how this is going to play out what's going to happen next what do we need to be watching for next which is an understandable enough question but what happens next for Vince McMahon and for the WWE while yes the board of directors will make some decision about what the outcome of their investigation is Maybe they'll fire Vince, maybe they won't. But the degree to which they feel pressured to, the degree to which they feel comfortable just giving Vince you know, a light slap on the wrist and saying, okay, don't do this again, but now you're CEO and chairman again, which, which I don't wholly believe he's not right now in, in, in all practical sense. But the degree to which the board feels comfortable not doing much of anything or the degree to which they feel more uh, uh, urged to to remove him permanently if they, if they see fit, if there's evidence for that, that's going to be determined by the degree to which there's public pressure and there's public understanding of the story and there's public information about this story and whatever else is in Vince's past that uh, may be making WWE a toxic work environment. Um, that's up to the mainstream media. That's up to the Wall Street Journal to follow up on this story and to continue doing stories and to continue finding out what the truth is. That's, that's up to, uh, other, other mainstream publications, including who knows what, uh, the New York post, New York, New York times, probably not the New York post, the New York times, the Washington post, uh, and publications like that. Um, certainly there are publications that might be in, in incentivized to protect Vince as well. Maybe, you know, maybe, uh, publications that sometimes do cover WWE who don't want to upset WWE. Um, but I, but I would hope that there are at least some uh, that have uh, more of an incentive to tell the truth about this. Um, I think wrestling media, yes, wrestling media certainly plays a role. And we, I, I hope we're, we're, we're doing our part here today in, in talking about this story and helping people understand what the details of this story are. Uh, we'll continue to do that. Um, but we have a limited reach Certainly, we're, we're limited at least to wrestling fans, right? Um, but but wrestling media is also positioned as you know we're we're sort of throughout the wrestling fan fan base and throughout you know, people who work in wrestling, whether whether it's the most competent publication, pick your favorite one, or the least competent publication, pick your least favorite one. We're all sort of grouped together as the dirt sheets, as these weird sort of publications that uh, that that also can't really be taken seriously and some some of them for good reason um so we're really limited in how seriously we're taken um 
and Vince's culture has always been to take fan sentiment or wrestling media sentiment and ignore it and dismiss it as part of the vocal minority. And that's just the dirt sheets. You, you can think back to something that Jerry McDivitt said uh, in, in, in some legal proceeding where he referred to, I think, the Observer as, you know, something, uh, you know, it, it's basically like the National Enquirer for, for our business and, and that these publications can't be taken seriously and that people who work in wrestling media are just people who uh, spend the day going through details, searching for, for, for something to make a news story out of. So and there's wrestling a, fans can't read. So, you know, these are, you know, these pulpy newsletters that have no real value because wrestling fans are not intellectually capable enough to read proper media coverage, which I think is an implication for that kind of rhetoric, right? Which is that wrestling fans don't care about these kind of things there. So they only are interested. The only, the perception of wrestling fans is that they're dumb. So what are dumb people interested in? Like salacious rumors, like people who would read the national Enquirer as opposed, and it all kind of plays into the general perception of wrestling fans. Right. Yeah. So, so yes, go I was going to say, can it be fair to say, and I think kind of back to the mainstream media point, that if any other CEO or chairman or chairwoman steps down, this is maybe not necessarily a bigger story, but a much covered diff- differently story. Like, that makes any sense. Like, it, it, you know, you can just pull any random publicly traded company out, and I think it's just a different context. Jesse? I mean, definitely, um, for sure. I think, pro- well, maybe not any other. I'm sure there are other industries that maybe have like a public perception the way that pro wrestling has. Like, I don't know if there's like a well known like pornographic executive, but like if it was that kind of industry, like like an industry that basically the general public doesn't respect mm-hmm. in a way that that pro wrestling also holds a similar position. But if we were to compare it to say like a Roger Goodell or uh, Adam Silver. Or uh, Gary Batman, like you know these 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 yeah. executives of major pro sports leagues, which is probably the closest comparison to Vince in a lot of ways, or perhaps a a big Hollywood executive. Um, the the accusations would be taken much ser- more seriously, and I think I you know when when they're they're talking about this uh, Vince allegations on CNN, and they're talking about this you know the very real life allegations yet they're playing all of this stuff from Vince McMahon, the character they're showing him get his head shaved by Donald Trump. They're showing him, you know, ripping off his shirt and fighting Steve Austin. If for say, you know, there was a, a very serious story about Vin Diesel. I don't know if they'd be showing B roll of like Vin Diesel, you know, in fast and the furious and Vin Diesel, like jumping out of an exploding car in addition to talking about him, I feel like they would show him like on the red carpet or him doing an interview yeah. or like Vin Diesel, the person and not Vin Diesel, the actor who's playing this role on this program. I think that's a big distinction. I, th- I think it's you know, along the lines of like, if, if Jim Carrey were embroiled in some scandal and now we're, sh- we're showing clips of like Ace Ventura, Pet Detective or something yeah. like that. Um, but I think it's a good point, Jesse, you make about like, if this was a, com- a commissioner of an, of a sports league. And I, and I think, I think the NHL is, you know, when we've made the, uh, the TV rights calculations, and I've compared wrestling TV rights value to to the NHL. Um, part part of the reason why I do that is because the viewership is in some ways comparable, and and WWE's viewership is consistently higher than than the NHL's viewership. I guess with the exception of probably you know the the Stanley Cup that's happening right now. But for the most part, I mean, WWE viewership blows away what the regular season does um, on TNT, uh, and I think that that 
determines the degree to which it's it's like it's in the public interest, right? Or it's it, that the public would care about the story. I, I would think. You know, you think about well, is this is this uh, so, something that that people watch? Is this something that people know about? And and W in some ways, I don't know if popular, popular is a vague term, but W in a lot of ways is very comparable to the NHL in terms of at least viewership. And I would argue that the public, like the general public probably knows Vince McMahon more than the general public knows Gary Bettman. I don't know if that's, I don't, maybe that's not 100% true, but it would feel like at least the name Vince McMahon would have more SEO value than Gary Bettman. Perhaps I'm wrong. Yeah, we can verify that later with Google Trends. Um, but yeah, uh, unless we have anything else to, to add about the uh, the wrestling media story, um, I guess we can move to um, the, the just to review what the stock price is doing right now. Uh, Friday uh, was a pretty hard day for the stock, where the stock uh, was down by a few percent, while the indexes actually were up a bit. Uh, the stock market has been terrible lately, uh, as we as we are careening towards a a bear market. Um, but the stock uh, overall, I mean, in the five day measure, which is what we've got on the screen right now, the stock is basically where it was at the beginning of the week on Monday. It's basically on Friday where it was on Monday. The stock is at sixty two and a half dollars. Um, I don't, I don't have it in front of me. That probably puts the market capital of WWE um, just under $4 billion. So uh, it, there, there was some volatility uh, on Friday when, when this news came out that Vince is stepping down as, as CEO and, and, and chairman, by the way, staying on as head of creative. Um, and it's always been something that we've talked about on WrestleNomics is what will happen the, the, the day that, you know, Vince McMahon suddenly passes away, this, the stock price, uh, will be adversely affected. And it was 3%. It was down 3% on, on a better day for the doc, for the stock market. So I, I, I don't know. And it's an interim thing. It's, it, it's a not necessarily permanent thing that he's not going to be at least officially running the company. So, uh, or more, maybe a lot of shareholders just view it for, view it the way I do in that it's, uh, that they're skeptical that there's real change happening here. So stock price seems to be doing okay. Um, the volume uh, on Wednesday was enormous before the Wall Street Journal came out. We mentioned this on, on, on Wednesday in our breaking news update, but the volume on, on Wall Street for W stock, there were over 2 million shares on Wednesday before the Wall Street Journal, before this was a story, 2 million shares changed hands. Now, Morgan Stanley... Uh, ben Swinburne, who's the analyst from Morgan Stanley, came out with a report raising W stock target. Uh, and that probably had a lot to do with why a lot of shares changed hands. Did other people know about this? I don't know. I think it's worth questioning. Um, but a lot of shares changed hands. M more volume on this stock than since July 2021. Uh, Guggenheim also came out with a, with a report the following day. Uh, so that may have been playing into uh, raising their stock. Uh, price target as well. Basically, raising the price target, if people don't understand, just means that, hey, what, what I thought this uh, stock would get to within a year, I think it's going to get to an even higher price, is basically what, what that means. So that that would theoretically, if, if all other things were equal, would encourage people to buy the stock. Um, so that's what's happening. Um, a lot of volume uh, still in, in, in the rest of the week, because there's pretty big news here that's pretty relevant to, to the stock price um 
people sometimes ask ask questions uh, as if W's creative can, can affect the, the stock price. It almost never does, uh, and it doesn't doesn't work in the way that that wrestling fans sometimes think it does. It has much more to do with what's happening, at least in W's case, what's happening with the value, with the potential value, and what stockholders believe is the potential value of their TV rights fees, um, or in this case. And in the case of when Barros and Wilson were suddenly fired in January 2020, uh, it has to do with what's happening with management. So that's what's happening there. I also think there's a public kind of relationship or a disconnect between wrestling fans, many of whom would see Vince McMahon no longer being the head of creative and no longer really being in charge of the company as a positive sign for the company. That attitude is not bared out amongst Wall Street analysts or other people within the stock market, which is that the general perception it tends to be Vince McMahon is the optimal person to be running this company and anyone else running it would not do as good of a job. And I yes. think wrestling fans sometimes have a hard time with that concept that it's not always the, re- the, the the concept is not necessarily what we think, but the reality, but the reality of it is Vince McMahon is the right person to be in charge for basically as long as he has been right, in, in Wall Street's eyes. There's been instances yeah. where, right, there's where the, where the, the fake death angle, right, and the stock plummeted because people thought that he actually died, or there was the angle where Donald Trump purchased Raw, and people immediately were like, oh, Vince doesn't run Raw anymore? Sell the stock. Um, so as much as wrestling fans maybe argue on behalf that Vince no longer being in charge of creative would be a, a, would be a positive thing for the company, and the company would experience growth after that, um, that has never really been bared out in the stock price. Yeah. I, I would almost wonder if there's maybe even going that far back when those incidents happened. So 2007 would be the Vince death angle. Um, 2007 would also be the, the, the Trump angle, right? Um, mm-hmm. I almost wonder if there's literally just algorithms that that if if there's a news article that says Vince dies or Vince sells that, that they, that there are programs to, to start selling some sock or something like that. But, um, but anyway, yeah, I, I, I am one of those people who has, who has said that I, I don't think that, that the, the day that Vince isn't in charge of creative, at least I think W will be, I'm, I'm less confident these days, uh, but, but, but W could be better off because their content might improve. And I think, the biggest obstacle to W's content improving and therefore its popularity and its consumer metrics and consumer sales improving uh, is Vince McMahon uh, being an obstacle in creative. So uh, that's not changing. <laughs> uh, but, uh, it, but, but when, when it does, uh, I think W could be better off. But, but then again, if, it's, if it ends up being, I don't know, people like Bruce Pritchard involved, may, maybe it doesn't get much better. Um, I don't know if, if either of you have any thoughts on that. I just, you know, we, we, we talked about like a sale, right? Like if they sold to, to Comcast, which I know we're going to allude to in a little bit, and Vince would still be in charge of probably creative. I can't see him stepping down from that at all. So I, I can't, I cannot fathom a world where Vince is in charge of creative. I just can't do it because yeah. until the day he dies. Yeah. To me, it would have to come from like this story and that eventually Vince McMahon would have to become um, so toxic, his brand. You know, he would have to become so toxic that you can't be. He can't be associated with the company in any way, 
going any further. If this is a, a full, I, I, I use the term full Weinstein situation where there's just all of these allegations that go out there. He becomes this total social pariah, even more so than he already is. That's the only way I see him kind of losing creative control over the company because at the end of the day, the WWE board of directors probably want Vince in that role. They trust him the most. Wall Street trusts him the most. Um, so there's not that big of an incentive for them to want to get rid of them um, as much as wrestling fans might, might argue that there should be. Um, and, and I'm a firm believer in the, the total chaos theory of, of once Vince goes, then it's going to be like just a, a ridiculous time with a million people trying to gain power and that no one will have the authority to kind of stop them. And it will be this 2000s WCW level disaster where there's like a new person in charge every week. Yeah, and I, I think we're seeing the rumblings of that right now in terms of what's what happened in that Business Insider article. Why did why did Stephanie really take a temporary leave of absence? Uh, how did the Wall Street Journal learn what it learned about the board's investigation? Um, this seems to be rumblings of people who are vying for power in, in a in a post Vince world. But whether whether that's you know if when he passes away or whether that's when he's just removed from power for some other reason. Um, when so, it comes to that investigation, yes. does the does the independent board directors have to even tell the executives at a certain point? Is there like a? I don't know. Um, I I would I would tend to believe that members of the board of directors, executive members, and independent members, certainly independent members, knew about this investigation in by April when they started it. Because minus Nick Khan, all the executives are family, or <laughs> like so. I mean, uh, yes. like the yeah, so yeah. Yes, but I don't think that that necessarily means that they're not willing to um, stab each other in the back, figuratively speaking. Um, so, we'll why would Triple to, H want to do that, Brandon? Well, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm sure Paul Levesque and, and Vince they have a lot of love for each other. I'm sure they, uh, uh, you know, I, and I know Triple H gave gave Vince that great T Rex head, a T Rex skull that's uh, in, in Vince's office, but. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if there are some competitive feelings between Paul Levesque and Vince, to say the least, or Stephanie for that matter. Um, I just want to touch on, too, Jerry McDivitt is um, Vince's lawyer. Jerry McDivitt is the company's lawyer. Uh, we may end up, and the, the, you know, if, if the worst happens for Vince and he's removed permanently, it's probably going to be litigation about that. And, uh, or, or at least there's there's... What's happening right now is, at least in the Wall Street Journal report, we've got uh, Jerry McDivitt making statements to the Wall Street Journal in defense of Vince. Uh, Jerry McDivitt is defending Vince, and he's defending the company. And now it looks like the company, that is the board, and Vince McMahon, they're going to have competing interests. And uh, if there wasn't already, we're seeing a conflict of interest, I think, for for Jerry McDivitt, uh, who is not a WWE lawyer. He's not an employee of WWE. Uh, He is... As this caption here from Dark Side of the Ring says, a partner at a law firm called K&L Gates in Pittsburgh. And uh, he's defended WWE and Vince McMahon through numerous litigation, uh, numerous legal events. Um, going back to 1987, the, uh, the, the Jim Anvil, uh, Jim the Anvil Nightheart uh, causing trouble on, a, on an airplane, I think is where that all starts. Um, and Jeremy did it, I get the impression... Uh, from this act, this uh, episode of the dark, of Dark Side of the Ring, where he's interviewed and he talks about how strong his relationship is with Vince, uh, I, I believe that that Jeremy McDivitt, if he has to pick between the company and Vince, that he'll pick Vince. Um, 
I think that raises some questions about what Jeremy McDivitt's involvement will be uh, in an ongoing litigation involving the company that he's involved in, including the MLW lawsuit, uh, where he and a number of other lawyers from K&L Gates are are the names that appear in the signature blocks there. Um, and it, it's, it's not clear to me whether whether um, he would continue to participate in, in those uh, in those ongoing lawsuits or whether he would have to uh, recuse himself. Uh, so we'll see. That's something to keep in mind too. And that, that, you know, McDivitt is, is defending the company and he's defending Vince and there may be some conflicts of interest there. Um, so I, I, I want to talk about, uh, Nick Khan here who has, at least in our, our little wrestling online culture, has really become a meme. And I'm not sure that that's helpful, but, um, you know, if you've got images that are, that are, you know, uh, popular and amusing, including this this sort of image from the Mortal Kombat. That's what this what this is from, right? The Mortal yes. Kombat test test of strength, test your might. Where uh, you know he's he's climbing the ranks. He uh, he has apparently overcome Triple H. Uh, you know, following uh, Stephanie announcing her temporarily uh, taking a leave of absence, he seems to have followed uh, or uh, you know passed by Stephanie. And now it's time to get on to Vince McMahon. And now Vince McMahon is under fire. Um, I don't know, and we have this image from uh, Griffin made this about uh, you know the uh, you know Nick Khan is the Godfather. Um, so, do do we see Nick Khan as is, is this all all to Nick Khan's benefit? Is this all a, a Nick Khan calculation that did he uh, back in twenty twenty Nick Khan uh, officially became president and chief revenue officer of WWE in August twenty twenty. He uh, worked with WWE. As, as an agent at CAA, and he helped WWE make their 2018 TV deal. Those are the TV deals that are most important to WWE's business right now. They're getting paid under through Fox and NBC Universal for Raw and SmackDown. Um, do we see Nikon as truly as, as some wrestling fans online purport him to be as this mastermind st- strategist who saw, you know, who sees the, all the vulnerabilities and weaknesses within W management. He sees the ways that he can overtake this one and that one and that department. And, um, and finally it's time for the final boss to, to be, uh, to be overcome. Um, is this really how it is, uh, or not? You, anyway. you want, you want to touch on that Jesse first? <laughs> I mean, to me, Nick, what would be his, in- what is Nick Khan's incentive to like muscle Vince out. Um, does Nick Khan own any stock in the company? He, he well, yes. And he will, uh, so he has a five year employment agreement. Um, and he, I would have to revisit it. Um, but he's gonna, it's, it's not, it's not a significant, I don't know. Well, well, well I don't, I don't know what you have in mind here, but he's going to own quite a bit of stock. Um, and I believe in September he gets a, a really big stock, award that goes into effect. So he will own probably millions of dollars worth of stock uh, in the grand... He does, he's not, not going to own... He's not going to own 25% of the company. He's, he's not going to... He's not going to compete with Vince's control for voting rights, if that's what we're getting at. So unless Vince, unless is, Vince gets rid of a lot of stock. Yeah. I, I just, like, if you if we really think about this, right, in the, the, the meme world, right, the, the joke is that you know, and maybe the people who don't understand how the company up works, the idea is that Nick Khan is eventually going to 
muscle all of these McMahons out and he's going to be in charge of everything and he's going to replace Vince and this is his ultimate goal is to replace Vince. And would, how would that benefit Nick Khan that much? Like Nick Khan is an employee of the company. His job is to create as much revenue for the company as possible, which will reflect well on him and satisfy the stock market. I think in general, this, like, as we just talked about, the stock market likes the idea of Vince being in charge. And the stock market probably wouldn't be a huge fan of like massive um, organizational volatility where everyone gets fired all of the time and they're just totally cleaning house of all these recognizable names and these established CEOs and executives. Um, so like what is Nick Khan's incentive to the company to like do all of this? Like is he playing the super long game, which is this perception that Vince is bad at his job actually, like a lot of rest. Is bad at his job. We need to get rid of him, replace him with competent creative, um, and then this company will really take off and we'll all make a lot more money. But even then, there's a nasty road that he would need to take to get there, which would be that the company would have to clean complete house, lose Vince McMahon, and I don't see that how that would benefit him at all. Like I just, I think if you actually think about like what, how this would benefit Nick Khan, it's kind of absurd to think that he's got this master strategy to eliminate Vince. It's he, his goal should be keep Vince around and to continue to build the brand and identity of the company so it can make more money off of television deals and it can make more money off of its sponsorship deals. I, I, I guess you would have to assume that like Vince wants to run the company – or I'm sorry, that Nick wants to run the company for, for, for some reason. And, and be- He does. He runs the company now. Yeah. He runs the business side of things and really Vince is the, the creative. Here's the thing with Nick Khan. I – I don't know Nick Khan personally, but just from my observations, I don't think this is his final stop. I think he has greater aspirations than more wrestling entertainment. I would tend to agree with that. And a major, I, I, that'd be a major network and, and something like that. Yeah. And I think it's important to note that he, ha- he has a five-year employment agreement that I believe would have begun. You know, the clock starts on that in, in 2020. So that, that takes him to somewhere in 2025. And that would be after he makes this next round of TV rights deals. Those those deals expire in 2024. So that that that's all coming up next year. Um, so, yeah, I, I t- would tend to think that uh, you know maybe, and I think that maybe that's a good segue to the next thing. And then maybe part of what he could accomplish here uh, while he's at WWE is maybe he uh, ends up negotiating the sale of WWE. Um, Maybe that's something he's interested in. Maybe that's and I have always thought until the last really last couple of weeks uh, that that Vince is not interested in selling the company. Um, I'm wavering now, and I've I've written about that, um, especially after the announcement that Stephanie was taking the leave of absence, and that that seems to remove a really stable successor. Um, so it, I, I could see a scenario in which you know Nick wants to be involved in in selling this huge asset, you know this, this at, at least you know four billion dollar asset in, in in WB, and and that's a really big deal to make. Um, is he that ambitious that he wants to control WB? I don't know. He he did climb the ranks in in CAA though, for what that for that's for what that's worth. Um, and maybe there are right now part of what the political struggle is that there are um, these emerging factions within WWE that may want that have competing interests. And one of those competing interests may be a camp that wants to sell and a camp that doesn't want to sell. I, I would think Stephanie would be in the camp that doesn't want to sell because if Vince 
or her family doesn't control those class B shares that, that, that give Vince 80% of the voting rights, uh, that, that puts her in a position, puts her in a position where she is less likely to, to be the permanent CEO and chairwoman. I'm right. I mean, I'd be fascinated in a world where the company is sold and Vince McMahon is, you know, retains his position as head of creative, which I think a lot of people would assume would be what would happen. And then now Vince McMahon for the first time, I think in his life would be working in a corporate environment where he'd be held accountable by supervisors and the board of directors that he wouldn't control and a company that he wouldn't control. And what is going on in WWE atmospherically at the executive level that would be alarming potentially to um, a corporate company that would inherit the company? Because I would imagine that's probably not run the same way that, say, Comcast is run. That, that's a really good question because, like, say it's owned by Comcast and Vince is still out of creative and you hear stories that people say, like, oh, they didn't use me because of this or I overheard this from head of talent relations and all that. That becomes a much bigger story, I think. So the most likely buyer for WWE continues to be, uh, and in my view, and I think any, anybody who's thinking about this in a reasonable way, continues to be uh, the least one that makes most sense. I don't know if let me likely is a different word, but the one that makes most sense is Comcast NBC Universal. Why? Because Comcast NBC Universal owns the rights to WWE Raw, Monday Night Raw. They own the rights to what's on Peacock, which is the W Network content and the pay-per-views, premium live events. They own uh, the rights to NXT, Ms. and Mrs., so they're deeply invested in W content. Why not just own that content and not have to rent it and lease it? Um, that, though, as we've mentioned before, will be up to another CEO, chairman, controlling shareholder, who is Brian Roberts, who runs Comcast. Um, and I, I don't know that he's super interested in, um, in, in buying WWE. There, uh, it, there, there is... According to Brandon Ross, uh, s- several weeks ago, who's a light shed analyst, they believe that Brian Roberts was hesitant about putting WWE on Peacock. That was their belief. Obviously, the Peacock deal has worked out quite well for them. Uh, I, I would say for for both WWE and NBC Universal. Say what you want about the success of Peacock at this point, but to, uh, but the W content on there has been one of the more positive aspects. Um, so. That's gone pretty well, but now does does Comcast want to own a company that that is fake pro wrestling, and do they want to deal with maybe some of the other hazards, liabilities that come with owning a pro wrestling company, maybe the difficulties that come with running, running, owning a pro wrestling company, and now maybe there's another negative on the table, which is huh, the emergence of this scandal surrounding Vince McMahon and perhaps other executives. Does Comcast? own like any entertainment entities that you would say would be comparable to owning WWE. Um, That's a good good question. Trying to look that up and uh, the interesting, like how different would a purchase of WWE be for the company that now the company owns this, you know, major entertainment entity, right? They're not going to own the NFL. They're not going to own the English Premier League. They're not going to own the, um, the PGA, how would WW relate to other purchases the company perhaps has made or how they currently operate or would it be an entirely new endeavor to kind of run a major facet of your live sports programming, if you want to call it that? 
Yeah, um, I, I would think it would be something new for, for NBCU Comcast. I guess you said Endeavor there. I think the, the most comparable case of at least another larger parent company owning a, a sports league or sports organization, live entertainment organization, is Endeavor's ownership of UFC, um, which, which they bought several years ago for, for, I think, something like $4 billion, which uh, looks like a great deal now. And, um, you know, there's speculation that, well, maybe Netflix would want to buy, do something like buy uh, Formula One with how successful uh, Drive to Survive has been and how the popularity of Formula One has increased. Um, Netflix may be more hesitant about getting into live sports rights purchases, renting, uh, maybe more interested in owning. Um, um, they do own the Philadelphia Flyers. Well done. Well done, Chris. Yeah. Cole. Yeah. So does, Com- so does Com- Comcast owns the Flyers, or does like the owner of Comcast own the Flyers? It, it's Comcast Spectacore mm-hmm. owns the Philadelphia Flyers, and I, if you're in Philadelphia too, they have like branded uh, Comcast NBC Universal like Philadelphia Flyers like like restaurant too. So Comcast is headquartered in Philadelphia. I yeah, understand. right. Yeah, yeah. I just I, I'll be interested in knowing like. Um, yeah, I mean, we've seen like the, you know, Turner used to own WCW and, you know, obviously the Atlanta Braves and the Atlanta Hawks. Um, I don't know. Is a sports team comparable to WWE? Like, I understand the logic people used, which is like they're already paying so much money yearly. Why would they, you know, why would you pay to rent when you can pay to own? Um, I just I wonder what would happen with the company like running like this, this whole major entertainment entity where um they're not. I guess they would be in that in that theory. They would become the sole television partner, right? Fox would be muscled out if Comcast. Owned I, I, I would think but they I, could I mean, also sell, couldn't they? Would that would that be something that would be prevented from, uh, you know, legally? Could they? But could they? You know, still have like you know Raw on USA and SmackDown on Fox if Comcast owned the whole thing? I I, I would th- let's let's say that Comcast and NBC bought and somehow finalized uh, WWE next month. You know, there, there would still be a contract for um, SmackDown on Fox. I I would think that they they would just let that run out and then put SmackDown on on the USA Network or something like that, um, because it's just a better value for them than selling the rights. Um, yeah, that that's what I think would happen. Um, yeah. We can we can go to questions probably now. Yeah, to Gullo. We got a few super chats here. Uh, okay. We'll start with uh, Joseph Carino. Uh, just kind of a statement from I have my own issues for not liking Vince McMahon, uh, but I marvel how damn smart he is in knowing his audience. He knew he was going to get cheered. Yes. Thanks for the super chat, Joseph. Right here. And then we have a, a few from MJ. Uh, as I scroll down. Very busy today in the chat, by the way. Um, but uh, this one here, who are the top three largest, uh, I believe it means institutional buyers, INST, in, quarter, in Q1? Institutional buyers? I can, is it? I can easily tell you who the top institutional owners are. Um, I don't know that, that um, the buyers are as easy to find out. Um, and, I, and I don't think companies have to disclose, you know, unless they're making massive moves, right? I think they're making small moves all the time. Um, so if I go in, if I go to W's corporate website and I look under institutional ownership, uh, the number one institutional owner is, well, we, we all know this off the top of our head, don't we, here in WrestleNomics uh, University. Lindsdale Train, the UK uh, firm. Anybody have any guesses what, what's number two, number three? Uh, Vanguard's two, right? Uh, they, they, they're always competing, I think. But yes, Vanguard, Vanguard is, according to this, what I'm looking at here as of February, Vanguard is number three. 
And something else is number two. It's the one I always forget. It's a, it's a neighborhood in Buffalo that I used to live in. And you too. Oh, Black Rock. Black, Black Rock, yes. Inc., yes. Yeah, Black Rock, yes. 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 So th- those are the top three owners. Um, I'm not sure about buyers. And uh, I don't know if there's a way to, to look that up. Thanks for the, the super chat, MJ. And he had another one. Uh, in what universe would an analyst think WWE should be up 100% in 2022? And is, is that what uh, – I, I might have it in the notes here as far as what they raise their – their targets to and from. Uh, I want to say that uh, Morgan Stanley raised their target and might just be on the fly here. Um, if I go to the Fly's website, I think they have it, which is where uh, you can, if you go to the fly.com and I, I look under uh, WB, yeah. So Morgan Stanley has uh, raised their target on Wednesday from 60 $60 to 75 Remember, WCW shares are about 62 62 and a half as of the close Friday. Morgan Stanley raised it from 60 to 75 So um, to, to be up year-to-date 100%, W would have to be, let's see, year-to-date. At the beginning of the year, they were at about 50 just under 50 49 and 86 cents. So they would have to be a $100 stock. Um, they were a $100 stock for a very brief time where they were clearly in a bubble following uh, TV rights speculation. Um, I, 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 don't, I don't know uh, if anybody's got a $100 tar- target on WWE. That would be way too high to me. Um, he continues. Uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> Who pays uh, more to rent year over year when, when revenue going down? I believe it's revenue. It means they're going down. Who pays more to rent? Oh, I see. Uh, it, it just speaks to the notion that it's it's more cost effective in the long term to to buy a company like WWE rather than to continue to renew TV rights. If you think that the TV rights are going to continue to be valuable in the way that they currently are, if you were to assume that perhaps cable television finally bites the dust and suddenly that this entity like WWE and live sports is less valuable than maybe currently perceived, do you want to be the person holding the bag with, you know, you made this huge investment and now suddenly the rights are not as valuable as you once thought, but, but that's probably if, years down the road. Even if cable, and I'm not convinced that cable is ever going to like completely go away. I think right. We're be, now, we're now a long time into that speculation where I think there's always going to be a function for, for live. Right. And, but anyway, I think even if, where are we going here? Even if, um, cable bites the dust or something, I don't know that that necessarily means that live sports rights bite the dust. As long as those are still way more popular than other stuff. As long as there's still this great disparity or stratification in popularity and in viewership. Even though that viewership is declining over time. Even though Raw is doing a fraction of what it did 10 years ago, let's say, in terms of total viewers. As long as Raw does, which it still does, is often the most watched cable program on Monday night, for example, I think sports rights are, and, and as long as there's a big difference between number one and let's say number 10, which there is, it's, it's, a, it's an exponential shaped curve. As long as that's the shape of the curve, I think there's still going to be strong value in live sports and sports like things like pro wrestling. Uh, as long as there's this strong disparity in popularity, um, Regardless of 
what the media distribution means are, whether that's traditional cable systems or whether that's some other distribution means like streaming. All right. Uh, we have another uh, super chat there. This is from Danny Valentin. Uh, could you see a scenario where Tony Khan swoops in and buys WWE? And I saw a lot of this on Twitter and I just, I, I kind of shook my head at it too. No. Um, that's a lot of money. Um, it's one thing to ask your dad for a few hundred million dollars. Uh, it's another thing to ask your dad for a few billion uh, or several billion. Um, I, I don't think there would be antitrust scrutiny around it, but um, no, I highly doubt it. I've seen a lot of people speculate that Tony Khan could be brought in to run the creative side of WWE if something were to happen to Vince. I think that's based purely on the idea that Tony has been the first person to kind of show to be majorly successful running a creative wrestling on the creative end of a wrestling company that isn't WWE in a couple of decades. But again, I don't think there'd be any incentive for Tony to do anything with WWE um, unless it becomes like a full fledged like WCW situation where the company is available for peanuts on the dollar, which I don't think anyone would expect to ever happen. And, and I think that, that that's a that's a wrestling fan perspective, and I think the broader media world that is the world that WWE lives in much more so than AEW lives in doesn't view AEW as as like to like as we do. Mm-hmm. I, I I tend to think when I say we, I mean we. I, th- I think I think we're more right about that, and I don't think wrestling, especially the creative aspect of wrestling, okay, the creative aspect of wrestling is is like this this thing that only Vince McMahon has figured out, because I don't think he's, he, uh, you know, I think he's has a tremendously strong brand that obfuscates issues with creative, but anyway. All right, we have uh, two more Super Chats to go here, uh, including a another one from... Uh, MJ here. Oh, we have another super chat. Okay, very busy day. Uh, MJ, uh, whalewisdom.com to answer the first question uh, that he had with the institutional uh, buyers. Okay. Um, and now we have two chat super chats from Tim B. I'll do his most recent one here as Jarrett's return. VKM's insurance, like Jerry Jarrett was in 94. I do find this interesting to somebody who possibly run the wrestling side of things. I know. I, I mean... It's 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 another kind of meme that that Jeff Jarrett or Jeffrey Jarrett as as he was there's like a a graphic wel- welcoming all the latest new employees to to WWE including Jeffrey Jarrett who's now the you know the new VP of live events booking, um, I I no I think Bruce Pritchard would would be there first I think um, even Paul Levesque would be there first before before Jeff Jarrett. I'm much more interested in the concept of Cody eventually inheriting the role as creative in WWE. Yes, that's very interesting. And then uh, Tim B with another super chat. Brandon is Jesse your insurance against Gullo threatening to no show again. Never no showed. I've given notice unless you pay him more or just developing a new star for the future. And this has been a very heated conversation between Tim B and Regner Loft throughout the chat today. Oh, well, I'll have to review that in post. Um, yeah. Uh, I know you've tried to get me over a barrel here, like you did last time. Uh, fool me once, shame on me. You're not going to fool me twice, Chris Gullo. As soon as he comes back, Listen, the I'm I'm happy. <laughs> 
I, I was yeah. very happy to have Jesse. Right? I, we could add a third person, a fourth person. I'm, I'm, I'm totally. I'm a team player. Okay. Okay. Yeah, you're you're, you're thrilled with your business partners. You love your business partners. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my goal is to become relevant enough for Tim B to spell my name correctly. <laughs> you know. oh. people really people really insist that j-e-s-s-i-e is like how a lot of people assume to spell my name it happens a lot during emails at work and such and that's a way less common name way to spell jesse i have the most common spelling of it by far but for whatever reason the j-e-s-s-i-e has a, a hold on certain people where they just assume that's how to spell it okay is, is that all of them? Is that all the that, that, that is all. It was, it was a very busy day, but that is all. Yeah, yeah. This was. We appreciate everybody tuning in, and we appreciate everybody's super chats for sure. This was a pretty big audience. We um, we had a big audience on Wednesday for our breaking news uh, special too. So, I think I think that's all we have to, to get through here. Um, I appreciate everybody tuning in. Um, we'll be back uh, obviously next week. Uh, every every day, every day, every Sunday. At 11 a.m. Eastern, we stream this live. And, of course, you can find the audio version in your podcast app, wherever you subscribe to podcasts. Um, Jesse, you have any plugs to give? Um, just to follow me, at Jesse Collings, like it says on the screen. On Twitter, that's where you'll get most of my stuff. I um, recorded an episode of my podcast, Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast, on Friday with Jason Unpresser, uh, WrestleNomics contributor. Another member of the WrestleNomics um, family, yes. Yes, that's the sprawling, growing. You're like the Dudley family now. You're going to have different, uh, just various members. Um, but uh, we talked a lot about the Vince news. We, we did a lot of speculation about what we think the company would look like if Vince were no longer around and kind of fantasy created some ideas. Um, and, you know, it's one of those things where we were recording it. We're like, oh, nothing breaks while we're recording it. But nothing as really major has come out in the last few days. So it's still relevant. So. People can check that and, out. Um, and that's on YouTube, right? Yes, it's on YouTube. You can find it. Um, just Google or just YouTube search Gentlemen's Wrestling Podcast. Um, I was also on Josh Nason's Punch-Out um, a couple of weeks ago. Um, people can find that. That's a free show that's on the uh, Wrestling Observer Newsletter, uh, Figure 4 Online website. So also making an appearance on that. Um so I'm just making the rounds on all the various wrestling media podcasts, uh, shopping myself to the highest bidder, really. Mm-hmm. And uh, Golo, any, anything new with uh, uh, TI and things like that? No, just, I mean, if you haven't uh, catch up on the Burt Prentice episodes, like I said, the last one, we talked about how he literally had a WWE developmental deal and a WCW developmental deal within probably a span of three months. And at one point there was talent on both on his shows, which is very interesting. And we kind of talk about the beginning of TNA and his, his uh, role in that. And really this should be the last episode that will be released later this month. Uh, kind of going to basically him leaving TNA to USA championship wrestling and, you know, in, and unfortunately his passing and what impact that will have on Southern independent wrestling. So, Okay, and, and as always, you can subscribe to WrestleNomics on Patreon, patreon.com slash WrestleNomics. You get access to my TV ratings reports that come out basically every weekday. Um, quarter hours, there should be a quarter hours update uh, coming soon. Jason Ompresser was helping me out with that as this was a very busy news week. Um, so I should be having a, I hope to get that done Sunday today as we record this. Um, you also get access to uh, 
the Who's a Draw podcast that we did, and we'll be doing a company popularity uh, update in this month, later this month, I believe, uh, to, to catch up on, on the one that we missed on Wednesday. So, And you also get access to all the data, the WrestleNomics viewership spreadsheet, in addition to that. So thanks to everybody for listening and supporting again. Thanks to Post Wrestling for being our uh, podcast distribution partner. A lot of great reporting and, and conversations coming from Post Wrestling this week related to the story as well that everybody should check out. So thanks again, and we will talk to you next time. Bye. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.